millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to Millennial Love, a podcast from The Independent on everything to do with love, sexuality, identity and more. This week, I'm thrilled to be joined by author Jodie Chapman. Jodie's debut novel, Another Life, tells the story of Nick and Anna, who meet when they're young one summer and working at the same cinema. The thing is, Nick and Anna come from two very different backgrounds, as we soon discover. Anna is a Jehovah's Witness, as Jodie was. In this episode, Jodie spoke to me about how her own childhood influenced the plot of her novel and how her religious upbringing shaped the way she thought about sex and relationships. We also spoke about celibacy, how religion can act as a barrier in relationships and misconceptions around doomsday religions. Enjoy the show. Hi Jodie, how are you? Hi, I'm good thanks Olivia, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the show, I'm so excited to talk to you. Uh, I haven't actually spoken to anyone on the show about a novel for a long time. Um, so it's a real treat. We normally have people coming on talking about like memoirs and stuff. But this is why I think your book is so interesting, because obviously it's heavily influenced by your own experiences, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, the, the book, Another Life, um, it, it, it's a love story. It is marketed as a love story, um, but it's very much a story about love in general and it explores romantic love but it also explores the bond between siblings um, and the bond between parent and child and the bond between husbands of wives themselves Um, and the character of Anna she belongs to um, what you know I'll I'll use shorthand a doomsday religion um, which is never actually named in the novel Um, but it is heavily influenced by my own upbringing as a Jehovah's Witness. Um, And that is a faith that I was born into and I was in all my life um, until when I started having children, when I was about 29, 30, um, the doubts that I had always had sort of started coming back to to the forefront of my mind. Um, And I felt I had to engage with those in a way. But the religion in the book, I I never name the religion in the book out of respect to my family who are still active members of the faith. Um, But it was such a, it's such an interesting, um, I had a lot to draw on in my own experience of growing up because it is, it it is a faith that you can't step out of. You, You can't include people who are outside the community in your life to any kind of meaningful extent really um so there's a lot of conflict there that I always thought would make a good novel so even though um, I mean the relationship in it is fictional um but I have drawn on the conflict that I felt growing up as an unbeliever uh, as a believer where I would have feelings for unbelievers I want to I want to start off by talking a bit about your upbringing then because I think in order for listeners to understand the context within which the novel sits it's kind of helpful to to get a deeper understanding of how you know being part of that community influenced your attitudes towards sex and relationships when you were growing up so if you could just at a very basic level for those who don't understand what a doomsday religion is just explain what exactly that means and how it impacts and how it impacted your kind of day-to-day life when you were growing up. So um, Jehovah's Witnesses are um, a religion that believe, they're a Christian religion, and they believe that any day the end of the world is coming. And they have um, felt that that has been the narrative ever since the religion uh, first came about in the late 1800s. And they believe that the end of the world will come any day and that only Jehovah's Witnesses will pass through Armageddon which is the, the, the judgment day. Everyone else who has not listened to the message and has not become a witness will be destroyed. And this is something that they take extremely seriously. And 
the, the ministry, which is where you go from door to door and you knock on strangers' doors and you, you preach to them this message, is a huge part of the life of a witness. So I grew up with ministry being um, something I did every single weekend of my life. So my parents would take me from door to door and uh, we would spend an hour on a Saturday morning um, preaching to people in the hope of getting them to listen to the message and ultimately save their life. Um, because obviously it's something that you're that you're doing every single weekend, it forms such a huge part of your life that you have to, um, the faith, it's there every single day. I mean, you pray before meals, you pray before bedtime, you have three meetings a week. When you were, when I was a child, you had three meetings a week you went to, which was a Sunday morning, a Tuesday evening and a Thursday evening. And you would go to the local kingdom hall, which is what witnesses call a church. Um, and you would listen to different talks and you would get advice there about like, how to overcome conversation stoppers, how to keep people's interest. I mean, there was a lot of great training, to be honest, in, in terms of public speaking at these meetings. Um, but the the narrative was always the end of the world is coming every, any day. And so that has such a huge effect on your life when you're growing up because it affects every decision. So education you get the most basic level of education and that's meant to be it you are not supposed to go to university is extremely frowned upon if you go to university and um, parents of people who do go to university would be spoken to within the congregation you know why why are you allowing your child to do this the end of the world is coming any day what, what is the point of seeking a career for ourselves when really our lives should be all about the message this might sound like a daft question no, but go ahead. presumably if the education level was so basic was there any degree of education about sex and relationships at all i mean sex sex ed within you know the general <laughs> sector is already pretty yeah. rubbish it's only just been updated but i wonder if that was ever spoken about at all or was it how did that it kind of message come across it was, but it was it was something that you were spoken about very freely from the platform at the Kingdom Hall at the meetings. So you would grow up, you know, you'd be there with your parents as a family in the audience and you'd be listening. And they would always be talking about sex in terms of how um, there's no premarital sex. So you cannot have sex before marriage. And, you know, they would frown upon masturbation. Homosexuality was absolutely unacceptable. That's considered um, evil and very much wrong um you know that when i say that it, it wouldn't it wouldn't be that they would feel they, they wouldn't be hateful towards people who were gay um in the sense that you know for example the, the westboro baptist church in america who pick it you know yeah, there, there would be none of that say, the, the louis through documentary that yeah, yeah. Th there's there's none of there's none of that it's not hateful in that sense but it's absolutely unacceptable it's just flat out not allowed um so there would, you'd go, so there wouldn't be any kind of, there wouldn't be any Sunday school. You would be there in the meeting and you'd just listen to things being spoken about. And it, you know, it would be, they would talk about sex and relationships in that way, but it was very much fundamentalist. So it, it followed the Bible in terms of you had to be a virgin when you got married. Um, you also, you could not marry an unbeliever because God frowns upon the yoking together of two people who are not of the same faith. I mean, you could marry an unbeliever, but it would be frowned upon, but you absolutely could not live with someone, for example, before you got married, you have to get married. So a lot of people get married young. Um, and there would, there would always, you know, I remember being a child, it sounds so strange, now that I'm not an active member of that community, um, and now I'm raising my own children, it, it, it blows my mind sometimes when I think about what I was told. I was always told that I would never grow up in this system. I would, by the time I was a grown up, we would be in paradise. Armageddon would have come. We would have passed through into paradise. I would never finish school. This is what the adults used to tell me. There was always in the back of my mind something like, okay, well, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. I was quite a gobby kid and I would always, you know, second guess things and, and ask questions. And I'd ask too many questions sometimes. But it's really interesting. You're, you're taught the answers before you're old enough to start asking the questions. So all these things I just absorbed because these are the things that the people that I loved most in the world were telling me. You know, you don't go to university. You don't seek a career and 
material aspirations for yourself because that's just that that's selfish um, that's what independent worldly people do anyone who's not part of the community is worldly a worldly person um, there's a very specific lingo that you have when you're a witness you talk about yourself and everyone else who's a believer as being in the truth so every single day you're constantly reaffirming to yourself that you are part of God's chosen people and that you are part of the truth and if you you know if, if you're telling someone a story and you say oh they screwed me over or something and then go well they're a worldly person aren't they that's what worldly people do they screw they screw each other over so there was always this very very strong emphasis on how unbelievers will ultimately that they do not have your best interests at heart. Those friends at school, they're not your, really your friends. They don't actually care about you. The people within your bubble, I mean, they don't use the word bubble, but the people within the truth is how they call it. Those are the people who are really there for you. And I grew up absorbing that sort of thinking. It was very prevalent every single day. You know, there were, I, I, I would look the same on the outside. You know, you would look at me and not think that there was anything different about me. We, we dress the same as everyone else. You know, we, we go to school, we go to work, we have normal lives, um, but inside it, it is very different. Yeah, and I think that's um, the interesting parallel with Anna, isn't it? It's like from the outside, you know, you would never know. She just looks like a normal girl who works in a cinema when, when Nick meets her. Um, so I want to talk a bit about the dynamics in your household and how this kind of influenced the way that you thought about love. You mentioned that you were like a gobby child. So when you, when you grew up and you started to become a teenager like how much of how much of things did you start to question you know you wrote in a piece recently about the dynamics in your household being very much like dictated by this idea of patriarchy did you did you kind of just go along with all of that or was there a part of you that was resisting um and I suppose particularly when it came to dating because because you do date as a teenager right and there's no sex before marriage but you still date you you date um, witnesses hate the word date because they see that as a worldly word because to date is a very casual term um when actually you do not even entertain the idea of being in a relationship with someone until you are in a position where you are ready for marriage and so if you're 15 16 there's no dating then because you're not allowed to get married um when you're at school you don't have a job you can't afford a house for yourself you, you know, you cannot go out with anyone. So it's very, um, it's very firm about things like that. So before you get, before you get married, you have to be in a certain position. So before you even start thinking about going out with someone, you have to be in a position where you're relatively self-sufficient and you could, you know, look after each other. Um, I, I, I did always question it. I always found, um, I, I've always questioned patriarchy. I've never, completely accepted it um because you know I, I i very much i love my parents very deeply they had a very traditional gender roles i think part of that is also the generation that they were it was it was much more normal back then for there to be these very clearly delineated roles within the household um but i grew up always questioning it never Never, I think because my personality as well as I'm more like my dad who is who says what he thinks and he's quite outspoken and my mom is very silent anyway she's naturally a, she's she's a very quiet person and I'm I, I, I'm definitely more like my dad than I am my mum so I would struggle with that because within their dynamics I would struggle to see how I could ever be like my mum because I naturally wasn't meek and submissive, which is very much how women are meant to be within the faith. And that's talked about a lot in the literature, in the talks that you listen to at Kingdom Halls, whenever they're talking about the role of the husband and the wife, the husband is the one that makes the decision, always. And the woman is meek and submissive. She does not question her husband's authority. Even if, you know, they would say things like, even where the woman, even where the wife perhaps is more intelligent than the husband, she does not, she knows that her God-given place is to just support him anyway, even if he does something that she doesn't agree with. And I, I always struggled with that I, because it just did not come naturally to me. At the same time, I desperately, there was a part of me that desperately wanted to be like that because it was all I'd ever known. And it was, it's so much easier to fit in if you're able to just do those things naturally 
Um, so I, I always had this conflict within myself and that Anna is fictional. I mean, she, it would be ridiculous for me to say she's absolutely not me because of course there's elements of my experience in there, but I, I deliberately didn't write from her perspective because I didn't want it to be autobiographical. Um, but I did always have that conflict where I would question these things and I would say, but that doesn't feel right to me. And I don't agree with that. But at the same time, I'd be like, oh, why can't I just be, why can't I just be like that? Why can't I just be quiet and just, you know, get along with it? Um, so that was always something that I had within myself. But there would be certain things I would question, like, for example, women can wear trousers, but they can't wear the trousers. They can't wear, they can't wear the trousers, literally and figuratively. They can't wear trousers to meetings and they can't wear trousers on the ministry when they're knocking on doors. They have to wear a dress or a skirt. And I would always be like, where does it say this in the Bible? Like every single rule I want to see in the Bible, because if that's how we have to live our lives, you can't be adding extra rules in because otherwise, how is that fair? Like anyone could then come up with a rule and everyone else has to obey it. That's not right. Um, but my but that questioning is not encouraged within the faith. You are not encouraged to be questioning. I think that's partly why university is discouraged, because it teaches you to think for yourself and it teaches you to look all the, at, at all the evidence and ultimately you're meant to just kind of follow the pattern of everyone who's come before you and not question things. To question things is a, you know, who do you think you are? Getting getting above your station. Yeah, God, it's so, it's really fascinating. Um, you know, I think myself included, it's, it's something that so few people really know that much about. I think apart from like you mentioned Westboro Church, like those really extreme examples where it's like you just, you think of like the protests and the picketing and stuff. It's like, it's actually, it's really interesting to hear about it in such depth. And I think that's one of the reasons as well why the book will be so fascinating to so many people because it just, and, and again, I like that you write from Nick's perspective because I think it lends itself to the story to see Anna as like an outsider like that's kind of the way that it sets itself up but then as it goes along it's kind of it becomes a little bit more integrated so you mentioned that um, people within your community get married very young um, and I know you got married when you were 21 so talk to me a bit about that how did you meet your husband and was that presumably that was the first relationship you were in and, and I guess you know, you mentioned that no one really dates because the view is always to be in a relationship, but like, is there a period of of sort of just seeing if you guys can, you know, get along <laughs> to get enough to get married? <laughs> like how quick is that process? Um, yeah, I mean, it's different for different people. Like I got married at, at 21, which in the eyes of quote unquote worldly people is very young, but within the faith itself, it's not that's just totally normal age. You know, I, I knew 17 year olds, 18 year olds who got married. Um, so to me, it was, it was not especially, it was not especially young. And I think that's the thing, isn't it? You, you, you compare yourself with people that you know and what's, what's known within your community. So, um, I mean, my husband and I, we met when I was about 19 and you're not allowed to date in the sense that you can't go out on dates on your own so you're not meant to go out unchaperoned. So you're meant to get to know each other within groups. So you get together within groups of friends and you get, you know, you get one-on-one -on -one within a group scenario so that you're not ever, so that you're not ever tempted. Um, and we, we didn't always, we didn't always stick to that, to be honest. Um, we, we got to know each other through mutual friends, but there were, there were on occasions, uh, times where we would just go out on our own. We went to the cinema, which was also a no-no. You're not meant to go to cinema because even though you're in public, you know, it's a dark space. What's going to go on? Um, and I remember we went to see the film Cold Mountain and we walked in as the trailers had started and it was like really busy, really busy screening and I could see some seats at the back sort of kind of in the corner and I was like oh let, let's go up there so of course it's all dark the trailers are playing and we go up and we you know have to excuse me sorry we're just gonna get through there you know people are like moving themselves and anyway in the row that we're pushing past are two elders from the hall and the elders are the group of men that are like in charge of things and and we had to like push past them to get to our seats and I just remember us just like laughing like oh my goodness we're going to be in such big trouble because we're here at the cinema on our own I mean talking about it now we were both like 20 like it's it, it's it's crazy it's so crazy um but it, it is that thing where that's that's the that's how it goes in that community and you don't step out of that so we got to know each other um 
we got to know each other when friends were around we had a we had a big we had a big um group of mutual friends um so we went out for about two years two and a half years and then bef before we got married so which is actually quite a long time within that community to get to know each other it's totally standard and bearing in mind we're not living with each other here and um so you there's only a certain amount you still know each other you don't actually know what the other person is like in terms of living with that person and seeing what they're like when the shutters are down and they're not on their best behavior all the time but yeah the living together thing is really interesting because i've seen a lot of um conversations generally about people talking about couples who move in together only after they got married i think it's like it's like a modern trend where people actually just aren't living together until they do get married um but i i oh. agree with you i think it makes i mean personally i'm i feel like you know there's too many surprises if you just move in with someone totally totally you, well actually that that first year that my husband and i were married like i would not want to repeat that for anything because because we'd never even lived away from our parents before we had no experience of being independent and and all of a sudden we're, we're 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 trying to deal with that like learning how you navigate life like buying your own food at a supermarket and paying your council tax and at the same time also getting to know each other on a day in day day out basis and it's just oh my goodness I'm, it's so crazy <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you just you have to like get to know each other on a completely different level. It's it just to me, it's like you know, it's it's a risk. You know, it sounds. I suppose it sounds kind of chic in a way to be like, oh yeah, we're just going to move in together now once we're married, and it's all going to be you know glamorous and lovely. But it's like really, yeah. <laughs> is it? <laughs> um, so I know that having children of your own was like quite a big game changer for you in terms of the way that you viewed your life as a witness. You have three sons now, right? That's right. So yeah, so. What was it what was it about having your children that kind of triggered that change in perception for you? So I always had doubts about it. Um, when I say doubts, I mean there were always there were always things that I thought I, I don't know, quite know about that or that doesn't sound right to me. For example, like the ban on on women wearing trousers and there were just cert certain little things that I justified to myself and just thought, well, that these things are bound to happen. It's not going to be perfect. It's not, they're not going to have got everything right because it's, it is a man-made thing as well. They're trying to do their best, but of course there's gonna be things that they don't quite get right, but that will be sorted out one day. You know, when Armageddon comes and God restores the earth as to how it needs to be, all these things will be sorted out. So there's gonna be quibbles, but it was nothing big enough to rock the boat. And but there were always certain things that I just didn't understand, certain parts of the doctrine. And I would really try, like I would ask the elders within the congregation questions about the doctrines in an attempt to understand it, because I just didn't see the proof in the Bible for some of the beliefs. And I really wanted to believe it. I really wanted to prove it to myself because as I said before about, you know, wanting to play that role, it's so much easier if you can just believe what you're told. It's so much easier if you can just go along with that because because the faith is so insular and I have a huge amount of respect for the faith still and all my family and my friends who are still in it many of whom I, I no longer have anything to do with um, I, I still have a huge amount of love for them and respect for them so I don't I never mean any disrespect to them or the community when I talk about it I'm just very much aware it's my experience and I think it's important that I'm able to own my experience and talk about it without them necessarily taking it personally as me dissing them um but having children just completely changed my mindset because for years I just coasted along because it was the easy thing to do because what's the alternative I leave my entire community I leave all my family and all my friends who are witnesses I leave everything I've ever known and I essentially start again I mean that I'm quite a I'm quite an assertive person, but even that for me was a bit like, I don't know if I can if I can face that. But then when I started having children, that changed everything because all of a sudden I couldn't coast along anymore. I was now responsible for teaching them how to live. And it's not the kind of faith, it's not the kind of, you know, certain Anglican faiths, I think, give you a lot of freedom in the sense that you can live your life Monday to Saturday, however you want, and then you go to church on a Sunday. And that is the extent of it 
And it's not faith like that. As I said before, it's all consuming. There is a rule, whether official or unofficial, for every aspect of your life, from what color you dye your hair. You know, if you dyed your hair pink or blue, you'd be spoken to, that wouldn't be allowed. Because if you're going on the ministry, knocking on people's doors, you're presenting yourself, you're presenting God's message. You, you have to have natural hair color. You know, you can't wear certain things. You can't do certain jobs. So I wanted to be a film critic when I was younger. I was talked out of that because I'd have to watch films with sex and violence in, which would be very inappropriate. Um, you know, your education, the things you do for entertainment, the everything. You can't really do a gap year because you'd be away from meetings and ministry for a whole year. And why would you do that when the end of the world is coming and you need to be preaching the message? And I just realized that having children, I would have to bring them up in this way of life where I'm not allowed to pick and choose the rules that I follow. You can't do that. It's just, it's just flat out not allowed. So I would have to, for example, um, there's a rule on birthdays. You're not allowed to celebrate your birthday. So witnesses don't celebrate most celebrations that, that regular people celebrate. They don't do Christmas, Easter, Valentine's Day, bonfire night, Halloween, um, or birthdays. The only thing you can really celebrate is your wedding anniversary, um, which I always thought was a shame if you're single and you're not married, you don't get to celebrate anything basically. And also an anniversary to me is the same as a birthday. You're commemorating the year since something happened. And I never understood the ban on birthdays. That never made sense to me. Um, I always found the reasoning extremely flimsy, but I couldn't openly celebrate birthdays. And I didn't care about celebrating my birthday because I never had done. So I couldn't miss what I'd never known. But I felt that with my children, they would go to school and I would have to, every September, I'd have to go in and I have three kids, so I'd have to do this with three different teachers every single year, explain to them why they don't do birthdays, why if children bring in sweets and treats because it's their birthday and they want to share them with their school friends, my children can't have them. My children can't write Mother's Day cards, Father's Day cards. They can't do anything Christmas related, anything Easter related. And some of these celebrations I agreed with why if you believed in the Bible, you couldn't celebrate, but a lot of them I didn't. And I just thought I would have to explain this talking as if I absolutely believe this. And I thought, I don't know what I believe. I have huge doubts and I still don't know what I think about meaning of life and God and all that. And I thought I can't ban things from my children's life unless I completely agree with the ban. It's not my right to do that. And the fact that I have these doubts about this way of life would make it even worse because in a way I just saw it as a, as a type of a, abuse of my role as a parent from my fear of stepping outside my community and questioning things would be preventing me from doing my job as a parent. So it was very strange how as soon as I thought about it like that, the decision was made for me. I just thought, well, Jodie, you have no choice now. You, you have to step away from this because it's not about you anymore. You don't get to just, and it's funny, this had always been the, my fear about having children. And for quite a lot of my twenties, I never wanted kids was because the thought of being so responsible for someone else and unable to just live my life, how I saw it terrified me and now I had my children who I adored and who I loved more than anything in the world I had to I had to do what was right for them and I thought even if we kind of sit on the fringes of the faith and we go along and we have the community and we have our friends and our family and we you know we're kind of not massively in it I still couldn't celebrate birthdays I still couldn't do little things like that and I decided that it was, although they're silly little things, also for me to turn these things down, there needs to be a valid reason. Otherwise I'm lying to myself. I'm lying to my children. If God is there, I'm lying to God and I'm lying to all my family and friends. So in the end, I felt I had no choice but to step away. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It, make, it makes so much sense that it, it was when you had children that that kind of became the point when you decided that because I think so many people, when they go through something as a child you know something that doesn't feel quite right with them whether it's you know a religious belief or or you know maybe you see the way that you're you don't like the way that you're being parented or something I feel like whenever that person then has their own children if they do you see it as a kind of opportunity to like rectify it in a way and it's like taking control of it I mean I don't have kids so I'm just talking hypothetically but that is what I'm kind of understanding from what you're saying (laughs) It, it definitely is. And I think I just wanted my children to have freedom. I wanted them not necessarily to do all of those things that they that I couldn't do. And that if I stayed in the faith, they couldn't do. Because some of the things, you know, just because I'm no longer an active member of that religion, it doesn't mean that I've embraced every custom that was banned to me bef- before. That's been the wonderful thing now is that I'm living consciously. I'm not just on autopilot. And I can pick and choose the things that, I want to practice both within my family and within my home. Um, But the important thing to me is that my children have choice, that they are raised with the ability to question things and that that's okay, that it's okay to change your mind when you are presented with new evidence, that that is actually the wonderful thing about being a human being, that we have this conscious thought and that the decision that we made when we were a child, we don't have to stick to that. If actually our instinct and our gut is telling us, no, you need to listen to something else now. It would be wrong to disregard that evidence and that those new instincts just to make everyone else's life, i.e. your family and your friends, just to make everyone else's life easier. I just think that that would be, what, what kind of example would I be setting to my children if I live my life in fear and was half living that life, if that makes sense, not fully embracing it. I, I, what kind of a life is that to live where you're not actually fully embracing the life that you have? Mm. Um, how old are your sons now? So my eldest is eight and my second son is six and my youngest son is about to turn three. Okay, so they're too young to be talking about sex and relationships too, but <laughs> I want to ask if that is something that you have thought about at all and how you will broach that subject with them when they do get to that age where they start dating. You know, have you, based on your own upbringing, have you given that some consideration? I have, and I've actually, I've told my eight-year-old, um, you know, how babies are made. I've already, I've, I've told him that because I don't want him... I don't think it's right for the responsibility of that education to be at the mercy of his school friends. I don't want him to find that information out from his school friends. And now with, you know, how rampant porn is now, I think, I mean, I don't, having three sons, I don't want them to find out what sex is through porn because that's not really what sex is it's so performative and I'm not here to diss porn but I do think that the easy availability of it in our culture now I don't agree with that at all I think it I think that is fundamentally wrong that children are able to access these things and I don't want my children 
you know, it's, it would be ridiculous and naive of me to think that my sons are never going to see that because of course they will. But I need, I know that I need to get in there first. So even separate from the aspect of religion and how I was brought up, I think the time that children are growing up now is, is far different to when I was a kid in the eighties and the nineties. And it's, it's my responsibility to um, react to that. So I've already told him how babies are made you know, and I use, I use the, the technical words for the genitalia and just, just talking about it very matter of fact. And I'm not at all like, oh, you know, this, this way that people do with sex. Sometimes I think if you're in a very religious household, sometimes you just don't talk about it at all. And I don't want to be like that. I want to be a very open house. Um, and I want to talk about these things with my sons and I'm sure they'll find it embarrassing talking about these things with their mum as they get older, but I'm starting at, right now to talk about these things so that it's just normal. I don't want anything to be taboo in my family of where they say, oh, I can't talk about that. I want it to be open and honest. Um, and then as they get older, you know, I've already made the decision, for example, that my, that my boys aren't gonna have iPhones. So like when they go to school, they'll have a phone, but it will be very basic and they're not going to have access to internet. And of course they're gonna be shown things by their school friends, but that's fine, you know, but as long as I'm, I'm making sure that they're, they're not addicted to their screens because who knows what they're learning and absorbing through that way. Um, you know, so I suppose I am still going to be, I, I do still think I'm going to be quite a strict parent in the sense that maybe a lot of parents in a religious upbringing have as well. But I would rather, I think as long as I go through it with the ethos of well, we can talk about everything, then that's fine. And that, that's the other thing is, you know, if my, if my sons turn out to be gay, I wouldn't have wanted to have raised them in an environment that would basically be shutting down that part of them and saying, no, that's not acceptable. Um, I, I just don't I don't want that I want my children to just grow up with the freedom really to think for themselves and of course I'm there as their parent guiding them at the moment and and telling them how I think the best way to live is but ultimately whenever they ask me questions about things because they ask me questions all the time they're they're, they're both at that stage now the older ones I'm always I say what I think and I say well what do you think so that we're all talking about our opinions and that we're all giving our opinions you know just because I feel like this doesn't mean you have to feel like it you can feel a different way because I never had that and that's that's not particular to my parents at all or even the religion I think that was quite normal for that generation as well um you, you do you do as you're told don't question things but also because I grew up within that faith where I was told the answers before I could ask the questions and so if I asked the questions it was like well you know this answer already why are you asking this question and I think questions were a really valid thing yeah, I agree. Also, I think it's interesting what you're saying about sex, because uh, you know what, I think you're right. I think regardless of whether you grow up in a religious or a conservative household, families just don't talk about sex, or at least they didn't. I think now it's it's different. Mm. Um, I think social media has really uh, normalized the idea of talking about these things um, at home. But you know, if God, I mean, I came from a very liberal family. My family never spoke to me about sex ever. The first time I learned about sex was again, like from friends and it's stuff that people, stories that people tell you and it's, or it's, you know, putting a condom on a banana at school. It's, <laughs> I think it's, um, yeah, I think just talking openly about these things could solve a lot of problems. <laughs> um, Absolutely. Now we've got a bit of a deeper understanding about uh, life as a witness. I want to return to the book and the relationship between Anna and Nick. So what, so just, would you mind explaining a bit about, um, so we know a bit about Anna's background, obviously, but talk to me a bit about Nick and the kind of contrast between their two upbringings and, and whether a relationship like that would be possible um, and what the reaction to that would be like in real life within the faith yeah yeah um so so with nick i wanted to um so he comes from a place of deep-seated trauma and in the book it goes into what happened to him when he was a child and how these um very emotionally traumatic events shaped him as a person and so a main part of anna and nick's relationship is that there isn't really a relationship because they're never properly able to voice 
what they think and how they feel about each other. They're always waiting for the other person to make the first move, which I think is quite, I think that's quite true to life. I think for a lot of people, um, for, for, from Anna's perspective, this is obviously because of the faith that she's within and she knows that she's having feelings for an unbeliever, which she really can't do. And so, although she's quite a forthright person, that is what holds her back. For Nick, what holds him back is his trauma. And he's never actually had somebody there who has been able to show him how to talk, how to talk about his feelings, how to deal with his trauma in the first place. So I was interested in that from how these two people who come from very different lives and are actually two very different types of people fundamentally still have the same problem. They're unable to really voice how they feel. Um, that relationship just would, would not have been allowed it's not allowed within the witness community so as a witness you go to school and you go to work but you do not associate with what they call worldly people so you after work after school you go straight home you don't socialize um you keep contact to an absolute bare minimum because you, your world really is everything within the faith and everything outside of it is is you just don't go there so Anna in the book is sort of pushing at these boundaries as she's getting to know Nick and having this kind of relationship with him. Um, and she's, there is a scene where he, because he comes from a family life that wasn't particularly happy, he is naturally averse to the idea of marriage and of having children and anything that's, that, that kind of reeks of that sort of traditional role, um, gender roles, um, relationships really. Um, and for Anna, of course, within her faith, that she has no choice. If she stays within her faith, it has to meet this traditional pattern. Um, and so for her, he says that he never wants to get married. So she kind of knows that the relationship ultimately is never going to go anywhere. And of course, they're both incredibly young. I mean, she's like 19 and he's in his early 20s. So to him, it's like, why are we even talking about this anyway? We're both so young. But to her, it's like... The, I have no other choice. Um, so within the faith, if you had a relationship with an unbeliever, you would it would be very frowned upon and you would most likely be what's called marked, which is where um, at the Kingdom Hall, there would be what's called a marking talk where they would talk about a topic. So, for example, if this was going on in the congregation, they would give a talk about how um, witnesses should not have relationships with unbelievers. That is the wrong thing to do. The Bible says this, that you should be not yoked unevenly with unbelievers. Um, and so this is not allowed. And although they wouldn't say the person's name within the talk who was guilty of this, it would sort of be known who the person was. And by giving this talk, you're ultimately marking that person, which means that people within the congregation should limit their contact with that person so someone could be in the religion and going to the meetings and only know these people within the faith but these people will draw away from them all the while that they are entertaining the idea of having a relationship with an unbeliever and it's only if they were to end that relationship that everyone within the faith would allow them to socialize with them again so there was a you know there is a very kind of tight system of control within that so um, that relationship could happen, but they would absolutely have to get married. There could be no living together, um, no premarital sex, like absolutely not. And presumably would Nick have to convert and become a witness and practice that? Um, not necessarily. Um, they could still get married. It would still be very frowned upon and witnesses, witness friends would be spoken to if they thought about going to the wedding for example because they would be showing their support for it by going to the wedding so it would most likely be a very quiet affair um you know they'd just go to a reg registry office or something there wouldn't be a big party um and then ultimately the, the unbeliever it would always be encouraged that they should come along to meetings and have a bible study and ultimately become a witness and that that has happened so i so growing up there were always stories of of this happening that people would then come into what they called the truth later by studying um but also there were often and it was usually if there was a couple who were married in this way where one believed and one didn't it would usually be the woman who was the believer and the man would be the unbeliever um it would it would be rare 
or, or much less frequent than it would be the other way around. I want to ask you a bit more generally about um, how religion kind of influences relationships, because we, we have spoken about this a bit on the podcast before, but I think you know, a lot of the things you're talking about can be applied to people who are raised with any set of beliefs, any religion, you know, I think, for example, I mentioned this before we started recording, but like my family is Jewish, and there was very much this kind of like, unspoken uh, promise that, you know, you marry a Jewish person, obviously, that that often hasn't happened in my family but that's kind of the expectation so it's like it's like you said it's like frowned upon um so when it comes to kind of navigating that do you have any do you have any advice for people who are kind of overcoming those cultural hurdles and overcoming family disapproval of the person who they're in love with because that can obviously be an incredibly traumatizing experience because then you feel like you have to choose between your partner mm. or your family yeah I mean I I find I find myself completely unqualified to give any kind of actual advice um but I mean for me stepping away from my community because of listening to how I how I really felt about things has been without a doubt you know one of well the hardest thing I've ever done um it's it's been extremely traumatic because it's not a faith that you can just really leave and still keep hold of all the relationships that you have with people inside of it um and so I have family and friends who have completely cut me off and no longer have anything to do with me so I kind of feel that giving advice is something that I just couldn't do because I think it's so personal and I know many witnesses for example and I'm sure it's the same with many religions who are within the faith who necessarily probably don't actually believe it or don't completely believe it, have strong doubts, but because it's so hard to leave and keep hold of the love of the people that you love, that they just stay within it and they just ignore those doubts and they just stay quiet about it. So I, I, I don't judge those people at all, um, even though I've made the step of of stepping out I don't think any less of those people because I know how hard it is um, and I think that overcoming family disapproval is a very easy thing to talk about if you don't have experience of it but if you do it's 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 just so it's so personal I think for me all I can do is talk about my experience which is I'm glad I listened to my doubts because I feel that I'm now living life consciously in a way that I didn't and that the decisions that I make now, I, I give a lot more thought to them because I'm not constantly on autopilot and I'm always thinking about what I believe and what I think about a certain subject. And if I feel like I'm in a way, um, without this sounding really disrespectful to my previous community, I feel like I'm living life strangely for the first time because as a witness, your life right now doesn't matter. The life that you will have a mortal life on a paradise earth after Armageddon, that's the life you care about. And because I now no longer cling to that belief, because I'm not sure of what I believe, I'm embracing this life more. And it feels, it feels wonderful, to be honest. It feels, it feels absolutely wonderful to be seeing things for the first time in a new way. It feels, it feels like the Truman Show, without sounding really cheesy. It I watched that again recently and it really struck me. I, it was really emotional watching it because you have, you have a choice. You know, if you've seen the film, spoiler alert, but if you've, if you've seen the film, Truman's standing on that staircase and he's, he's touching the studio wall and he's got the film director, the, the TV director, Christoph talking to him and saying look stay you know you're not going to get hurt here we're going to look out for you you're fine you know he's he's saying even though you know this isn't real just stay and you will have a better life and Truman ultimately walks out the door because he would rather find out for himself even if he does get hurt he would rather find out for himself what is truth what feels real to him what feels honest um, and that's very much how I feel. I miss all of those people that I left behind and I wish I could still be with them. But this is ultimately my life. And just as I would never tell them how to live, I can't tell my children how to live. I can't, it has to be our own individual decisions. So I think I would say to someone in that situation, you have to listen to your gut and listen to your instinct and 
try and trust that and hopefully the love that you have with your family and your friends will be stronger than the fear will be stronger than what society thinks of you I mean that that's what you will always hope for your family isn't it that their love goes deeper than than society Mm, I think that's such a powerful metaphor that and comparison to make the Truman Show um because like you know I think most people have seen that film and it's like you immediately get it um Mm. for people who might feel be feeling like they don't really they can't relate but I think that is Mm. such a powerful way of putting it into perspective um it's time for our lessons in love segment so this is the part of the show where I ask every guest to share something they've learned from their previous relationship experiences Jodie what is your lesson in love do you have any new lessons to share um I would say what would I say I mean listen to your gut and instinct is definitely one but also I think for me what I have learned through relationships is that one of the most important things when you go into a relationship and the success of any relationship is that your expectations are the same. So for you and the other person that you both have the same expectations of what you want in terms of how you live your relationship or how you live your life. I think fundamentally disappointment happens and relationships ultimately fail a lot of the time if one person has wildly different expectations to the other person. I think if you can find a way to make sure that your expectations match. Personally, I think that that is half the battle. Yeah, that's so true. I think that could be applied to anything as well, because it could be something as big as, you know, whether or not you want children to something as like, you know, where do you want to live? You know, mm. I think if you're not aligned on those things, you need to you need to find out soon <laughs> rather than get too deep in, you know, that you Absolutely. always need to have like a a meeting and be like right check check yeah. <laughs> as unromantic as that sounds I think that would probably eliminate a lot of pain for a lot of couples <laughs> I think so and actually one thing I would add to that is I watched um a school of life a school of life uh YouTube video I can't remember the guy who does it Alan someone Alan de Botton that's it that okay. him? yeah he's, he's brilliant yeah he's got such a great voice yeah, and one thing great. he said which I thought was brilliant in terms of having a relationship with someone else is thinking of um your partner as like a pie and dividing them up into different segments and think of your ideal partner and all the different segments you know it could be a sense of humor it could be um being kind all of these kind of things and think think to yourself you're never going to get someone that's a complete pie. You're never going to meet that person. So really think about the the segments of the pie that are most important to you. What are the parts that you are not willing to compromise on? And then use that as a way of testing whether someone would actually be your ideal partner, whether or not they have those essential segments. I was, when I watched that video, I was like, wow, that's brilliant. That that could just solve so many problems. Oh my God, I love that. To to incomplete pies. That's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. If you're a new listener to this show, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast or anywhere else. You can comment and leave us a rating too so that more people can find us. Keep up to date with everything to do with the show on Instagram. Just search Millennial Love. See you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.